Why, hello there. How are you? I, for one, hope you are doing phenomenal. I'm your host, Jalen, and welcome back to Retrospection Connection, where we take a more critical look back at TV, movies, and other cultural artifacts that left their mark on us in a formative moment of our lives. Allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media. Now, this might seem a bit meta, but something I've been thinking a lot about lately is what all goes into a classic intro. Regardless of what the introduction is for, you want it to feel captivating, informative, inviting, all the other synonyms. The point is, you want your audience to be almost instantaneously immersed in the world that you've crafted. I'll be the first to admit that I'm still working on mastering that effect. Interestingly enough, today's featured TV show got this part oh so right from the very beginning. Yes, I am talking about none other than CBS's 1993 sitcom, The Nanny, starring the queen herself, Fran Drescher. At the start of each episode, the audience is embraced by a dangerously easy-to-memorize theme song that reminds them of the central plot of the show. It's catchy, it's witty, it's warm, and most importantly, it leaves you wanting so much more. Not unlike today's guest, my superstar friend and actress, Taylor Corral. In this installment of Retrospection Connection, Taylor and I explore all of the reasons why this show weaseled its way into America's collective heart and how it's been a source of support and safety for Taylor since her middle school days. I hope you enjoy and remember, always strive to be the lady in red while everybody else is wearing tan. Real ones get that reference. Enjoy. Everyone in the virtual studio with me, I have truly one of the sweetest people that I've ever met in my entire life. And they might disagree, but I am here to affirm that at every step of the way. My friend Taylor is here with us. Taylor, would you like to introduce yourself? Maybe tell us a little bit about you as well as how we met. Yeah, my name is Taylor. I, God, I don't even know what to say about myself. It's like a job interview, right? You're like, hmm. (laughs) what like like, what do they mean when they say what what about me yeah um i'm so sorry of course of course the first cut i love it see we already got into it okay hello everyone um first i just want to say thank you Jalen, for saying that about me that's very kind you are also one of the sweetest people i've ever met in my entire life Jalen and i met oh my god how long ago was it how many years was that 2019 was it 2019? Four years, almost half oh a decade. I'm, I'm really stretching. How Don't say it like feels. that. Yeah, that it's fun. It's a old. retrospective moment, right? Oh god. So we were orientation leaders together at the college we went to together, which was a, oh, a an experience and a half that was just all summer camp vibes, but with a lot of academic things thrown in the mix. The listeners now are like, oh yeah, these people sound like they were orientation leaders. <laughs> these people sound, <laughs> they were up at 7 a.m. screaming at people 
I can see it. Most definitely we were. But it was a pleasure meeting you in that way. And I'm I'm so glad that we have reconnected partially due to this podcast and Me that you're too. here with us. Yeah, I love I've it's actually it's been one of my dreams to be on or make a podcast. So I'm actually like you you're you're like helping me check off an item, but like I will check it off multiple times with you if you want me to. Wait. Uh first of all, I would love to have you on multiple times in the spirit of maintaining and building connections with people. But I'm so glad that I got to be a part of this journey for you. I would have loved to be featured on somebody's podcast. I still would love to if anybody's listening and has a show that they'd like me to be featured on. You're like, just because um, I have one doesn't mean I don't want to be on yours. Exactly. So half of your dreams, podcast related, are fulfilled. Yes, so yeah, my, pod my podcast dreams. <laughs> so opening question um, that I'd like to ask all of my guests how would you describe your relationship to popular culture or popular media growing up? So I was very ingrained in popular culture and media as a kid. I was the kid that got home from school and ran to the TV and was like, is Sweet Life on? Is SpongeBob on? Like whatever thing was on, like I was in front of that TV <laughs> watching it. I'm not that way as much now, but like as a kid, I was always just up to date on every single TV show possible. So it was like a defining feature of my upbringing. Why do you think that was? Do you do you feel like there was something unique about your household that that really made you gravitate towards watching TV, watching movies? I, you know, I'm not afraid to get a little vulnerable. I didn't have the best upbringing in the world. I didn't have the closest family life. And so I think for me, television and media, um, not just television, but movies, books, regardless of what type of media it was, was a form of escapism. And I just sunk my teeth into it and I was here for it. And I think that was, yeah, largely in part because of just the family life that I had. Um, mm -hmm. I've had two guests thus far, and it seems like there's a recurrent theme of like escapism as as a reason for really going in deep with your, your love for media and like TV and movies in particular. How do you feel like you used TV and movies growing up to see yourself somewhere else? You know, jumping off of what you said, I, I do think there's a reason that a lot of people lean into media for escapism. And I'm an actor for, for the listeners out there. So I've done some reading and studying about catharsis through theater, um, which kind of revolves around seeing somebody on the screen crying and in pain feeling an emotion that you won't allow yourself to feel and being able to experience that through a character. And I can't remember what technique guy that is. I'm sure somebody out there is screaming at me, but <laughs> somebody profound and old and probably dead. Yeah. While there's this catharsis that comes from media, I think there's also the escapism that I leaned into of like, God, I want that. 
in some way. And so getting to see the people on the TV screen, the movie screen, the book pages experience something that I so badly wanted to, I could live through them. And I suppose that does relate to catharsis in a more positive way where it's like, ah, I want to do this, but I can't right now because I'm nine because I <laughs> actually no, that's the reason because I'm a child and I have no control <laughs> over my own circumstances so it's yeah. so easy and beneficial to lean into the characters that you see on a screen and I think I definitely did that it, it sounds like there was this aspirational element to watching yes. tv and movies at that time which I can certainly relate to even now but like certainly as a kid because you're right, there's not a lot of agency or autonomy that we have, you know, growing up in somebody else's household under mm -hmm. somebody else's rules. Even the channels that we watched were pretty controlled, pretty controlled, right? Reined mm -hmm. in, made for a particular demographic for what was like, quote unquote, appropriate for us. But even still, we'd watch a show like Hannah Montana, where Mm -hmm. This girl who's about our age is living a life as a pop star. Still pretty tame, like as a concept, but to be able to watch somebody travel the world and live their dreams at such a young age, I totally get what you mean about media being an escape for you in that way. Because I was not traveling the world. I was not being an international pop star. I don't know about you. You, uh, you know, I wasn't, but I remember vividly in fourth grade lying to everyone and telling them that I was because I played the no. Hannah Montana video game. And I was no. like, I was like, yeah, I've been to Cairo. Okay. Via video game, but I didn't tell them that. Okay. And look, if they didn't read the fine print, that's <laughs> actually going to be. That's on them. <laughs> that's on them. You listen to a fourth grader. <laughs> Well, Taylor, do you want to tell the folks at home, what show are we talking about today? Yes. So we today are going to be talking about The Nanny, the 1993 sitcom, which is just my cornerstone. It got me through middle school. It recently resurfaced in my life, and I am so excited to talk about this quirky, quirky concept of a show. I'm so excited too, because I feel like for me, this is a show that was certainly like in the ether. I, I mm -hmm. had heard of the show from a very young age. I personally found out about the show through Nick at Night. I mean, I was mm -hmm. talking about it a little bit in, in the first episode, since we talked about the different programming blocks on Nickelodeon. But I first watched The Nanny on Nick at Night. Don't know how old I was probably not old enough to be understanding some of what they were saying. But I do remember it was a very feel-good show. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about some of the intricacies of the show, whatever you might have taken from it. Before we get too far into things, I want to give a basic premise of the show so yes. that maybe folks that haven't seen it or are not familiar with the property as much can at least have a sense for what we're talking about. Per Wikipedia, I did not write this, so if you're mad at the way that this is written or how it articulates what the show was about, don't shoot the messenger. But so it goes, Jewish-American Fran Fine turns up on the doorstep of British Broadway producer Maxwell Sheffield to sell cosmetics after having been dumped and subsequently fired by her bridal shop owner boyfriend. 
Maxwell reluctantly hires her to be the nanny of his three children, Maggie, Brighton, and Grace. In spite of Mr. Sheffield's misgivings, Fran turns out to be just what he and his family needed. So after hearing that synopsis, do you feel like it encapsulates what the show is about? Is it missing anything? Um, yes. However, mm-hmm. Jalen, I think Wikipedia has a failing and it is that they could have just said she was working at a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens till her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her fanny. So over the bridge from Flushing to the Sheffield's door, she was there to sell makeup. But the father saw more. She had style. She had flair. She was there. That's how she became the nanny. Like, they could have just done that. That's only Wait, the first I'm sorry. Half. Stop. <laughs> Everybody in the studio clap for Taylor. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's me and Taylor here. We're the only ones here. So it will not be a rapturous applause, but I wish it was. Sound effect. <laughs> I wish it was. I am not savvy enough to do sound effects just yet, so I can't accommodate that. But that was amazing. And for folks that haven't seen the show, that is the lyrics to the theme song verbatim. And I was actually going to ask you to do that. And so I'm so (laughs) glad that you did. (laughs) The theme song literally just says everything about Mm -hmm. the show. It literally is like... It's, it basically describes the pilot episode. <laughs> it describes the pilot. It describes the general flow of the show as, mm-hmm. you know, she, she's she been mis- displaced and yeah. is now in this family. And she's showing them all the things that they've been missing in this hoity-toity fancy life that they've been living. Yes. And I love it. So um, do I. So much. Mm-hmm. And I love the side note, I love that they never changed it. I was going to say that. I, I was watching some episodes. I mean, we might get into some specific episodes later on in the show, but I was watching the episodes and I like just watched the theme song play through each of them just to see, like, did things change over the seasons? And I, this could be unpopular. I am personally someone that loves to see a slight change in the overall, like, oh, theming of the theme song. I don't need the actual tune to change, but I I do like a you know some different clips here and there, something like that. But I think it fits for the nanny. What do you think? I love that they kept it the same because like you start getting into season six, and I'm pretty sure that the nanny Fran Fine and Maxwell Sheffield are married at that point. So we don't need the introduction of you know she was working at a Bradfield. Like we don't need that anymore. But I think it would have been a disservice to every fan to take it away. Oh, absolutely. It it would not have been right. And I think about like sitcoms, especially of mm-hmm. the 70s, 80s, 90s in particular, you would not survive without a banging theme song. Like you have no. to have something that'll really grip the audience's attention. I feel like as a generation and, and folks coming after us, we have kind of lost the art of the theme song and how important mm-hmm. it can be. Either like the creators of the show, like the theme song is already made to be about three seconds, or we just press skip intro and we don't experience it anymore. But we that's need to so talk true. Because I can still remember 
the theme song to Dragon Tales. I can still remember the theme huh. song to Full House. I can oh, still man. remember the theme song to Drake and Josh. Like those all just live rent free in my head all the time. And that yeah. doesn't happen anymore. And I think, I really think that skip intro is the best and worst thing. And that it is totally why. Is. Yeah. I, I think of it as like a necessary evil. Um, mm -hmm. Is it a net negative uh, in the media space? Sure. I, I can concede that. But I do feel like, like it, it does serve its purpose sometimes. I don't always want to hear the song. I've heard it in reruns mm -hmm. a million times and maybe I don't want to listen to it, but would the world be a utopia with theme songs required to be played? Um, I think so. I think there's mm -hmm. a good argument to be made for that. Absolutely. We're <laughs> funny. We're funny together. I enjoy yeah. this. I was going to say, like, I'm so excited that we're like being able to engage with each other like this. Yeah. I love um, it. You know, I, I used to do stand up. <laughs> Fun fact. That totally totally tracks <laughs> so we're talking about the nanny and i'm excited to talk to you more about it because it seems like you have a really personal intimate connection to it so let's really get into the weeds what is your relationship to the nanny why were you watching it as a child <laughs> <laughs> where are we at now with it give me that story yeah so I don't exactly remember the day that I started watching The Nanny. I almost wish that I could, but I know that it was sometime in middle school. And middle school is a bad time. It just is, is a bad no. time. I, I don't You're care not who serious. you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Everything yeah, about absolutely. middle school is just hard and weird and everything your body is changing. You're just like trying to figure out how to be a person. And somehow I just started watching the nanny and it wasn't like my family watched it. It wasn't something we all watched together and sat on the couch and we're like, let's watch the nanny now. It was something that I found and was mine. <laughs> like I would, cause you talked a little bit about how it was on Nick at night and it was also on TV land, I think. So I remember setting my DVR to record any and every episode of The Nanny possible, <laughs> especially because sometimes it was on at like midnight and I gotta go to school the next day. It's a school yeah. night, so I can't, That's I can't stay up. self-respecting child is up at that time. Exactly, but I set it to record all the time and I just started like blowing through these episodes and there was something about the nanny family and the female characters that I just really latched onto. And I don't know that I would have had the wherewithal to describe that at the time. No. no. But in retrospect. <laughs> Whoa, what a good word. What I got a good you. Word. It's a great word. Somebody should use it for a podcast title. I'll, um, I'll write that down. <laughs> but seriously, though, like looking back, it meant so much to me and was exactly what I needed in the moment. Specifically, just the family dynamic, the family as a whole, you know, the three kids, Fran herself, Maxwell, 
the the butler, Cece, they all got into such crazy shenanigans. But at the end of the day, there was no doubt that they all loved each other. I mean, maybe there was some doubt with 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 Maxwell loving Miss Fine, but that was a whole plot point, so it's fine. Yeah, that was a part of That's, the show. It was, was a, a part of thing. it, especially I think for Fran and the kids. She truly loved them, and as much as she was their nanny friend, like I truly think she loved those kids as a mother. And I think oh. at a fragile age that I was, I mean, I was around Maggie's age, so the young teen. I think I was a little bit younger, but still, um, I related to that character a lot because I was, oh, Jalen, I was not cool in middle school. I was. That's insane because you're so cool now. And I don't even mean that in like a, oh, you're so cool. Like you're actually one of the most cool people that I've, that I've ever met. Jalen, that's very kind of you to say, but I do feel like the coolest people come from just the most awkward like yes out of phase like weird existences and that was me in middle school I didn't have a lot of friends I liked school because it meant that I wasn't at home but when I was at home I was watching the nanny so I would be okay like it would Mm. it would all be fine like I was not cool so I related to Maggie's character a lot and her relationship with Fran just made sense to me yeah and provided me with a, I want this type of family when I'm older. It gave you a model to, yeah. to sort of aspire to, getting back to that aspiration theme earlier, right? Exactly, exactly. And even now when I watch it, because I, I, I recently started watching it again with my cousin, because we found out that we both watched it and just never talked about it. I swear so many people have watched The Nanny that are our age range and just never talked about it with each other. And all of a sudden, in like 2023, we're all like, oh, wait, you also love Fran Fine? Yeah, we're all. The answer is yes. We really are. So I re- <laughs> I started rewatching it with my cousin. And it's just been so fun because I'm looking back at all these like childhood lessons that like really meant a lot to me that I didn't realize at the time. I mean, so you said that. There's so many of us in our generation that have watched the show, but we've never really spoken up about it up until maybe recently. Do mm-hmm. you feel like the nanny is like a guilty pleasure? Maybe is it? I'm not know, guilty I'm at you. all. No. I don't feel an ounce of guilt, but maybe for some people it might be because it's kind of zany and it's from the 90s and it's like, it's a little campy. A little? <laughs> I knew you. It's campy. It's campy as hell. It's so maybe... very campy. They really leaned into we're a sitcom. And mm-hmm. all of them do, like all sitcoms do. But like, I was just watching some episodes and there were just moments where I'm like, oh, this is a theatrical production. You know what I mean? Like they really embrace the fact that this is being recorded in front of a live studio audience and it adds something to the show and so yes very camp very traditional sitcom and I think that's why it's maybe lasted so so much in your heart I love a good self-aware sitcom like Mm -hmm. there are sitcoms out there that like 
don't break the trope of I'm going to talk about exactly what's happening in this show and the audience knows and I know, but the characters don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love that. Like there's literally, this isn't one that I've watched recently, but there's an episode where Fran meets like an older nanny who's like been doing it for like way longer than Fran, but she has the same story and she starts saying the lyrics of the theme song as just <laughs> lines to Fran and Fran's like, Oh my God, my life is flashing before my eyes. And it's like, that's cause it is. Cause she's just saying the theme song, but I love a good self-aware comedy like that. And so I think you're so right. They leaned into it so hard. Well, that reminds me, I, I feel like they do this, especially with Fran, who's like the main character. I like that they allow her to be silly, be zany, be um like ditzy. 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 Mm-hmm. They allow her to be ditzy, but she's also not stupid. And that's what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. There's a distinction between being ditzy and being stupid. And I I like how very early on in the show they do not establish Fran as a stupid character. She's mm-hmm. very self-aware of her position in this family, in the world at large. She knows how she's perceived. And I like that she takes that to her advantage whenever she can. It's so cool. And I I wanted to ask if you had any thoughts about uh, how her character is represented and how it relates to that whole self-aware theme. Yes, I I think as a kid, all of that nuance flew over my head. And I did see Fran as this like, dumb girl from Queens or from Flushing that was just like, you know, like I'm hanging out with the rich people. But like, as I've rewatched it as an adult, I've been like, oh no, Fran knows what's up. Like, okay, she, she doesn't know which fork to use for the fancy meals, but she knows exactly how to socially maneuver herself through any situation absolutely and that's one of the things that i love is that it's so easy to perceive women that look like sound like and act like fran as stupid but she has a level of knowledge and social adaptability Mm -hmm. that is not present in the like pretentious rich people that she's dealing with on a daily basis and they all are like oh she's the dumb one and it's is she that's what i think is so fascinating they they kind of flip that expectation on its head in each episode Mm -hmm. where it's like oh these are the well-educated the wealthy the people that have the things that she does not but I think they do a good job, and, and maybe you can articulate it better than I, since you're you're a really big fan of the show. But I think they do a really good job of showing all the things that she knows that they don't know, all the they, all the things that yeah. she understands about society that they're not privy to, just by virtue of their lack of experience in the quote unquote real world. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's multiple situations in which 
the rich fancy people i'm just gonna call them that because that's the easiest thing the rich fancy people are like oh let me show you fran how to act in this situation and that will help you and then she tries she tries to fit into that box and it's a disaster but the second she allows herself to just dive into who she is she's got it all figured out and it works out fine exactly i i think yeah that was kind of the basis of the show that they wanted to get at like one of the major themes is like Mm -hmm. really be yourself some it may not always work but usually that that's the best course of action that's one of the plots for one of the episodes that you recommended that i watched do you remember the name of that episode Oh, My Fair Nanny? Was that it? My Fair Nanny. I think so. I believe it was like one of the first few episodes of the show too. So like yes. very early on, they they made sure that the viewers caught on to that. that Absolutely. I'm looking at my notes to make sure. Yes. yes yeah. What fair. happens in that episode? I feel like, I, I think the oldest daughter, Maggie, Wants to have a party of some kind? I, okay, no? so, yes okay. and no. So so that episode, I'm going to triple check the title. The My Fair Nanny episode, I think it's season one, episode like three or something. So basically, Maxwell, who's this big Broadway producer, as they constantly remind you, every single episode of the entire season or series needs a donor for his new show that he's producing and cc his like business partner is like oh my gosh like the wentworths we need to get the wentworths to fundraise for us so we're going to have maggie be a debutante and maggie's like um hell no i don't want that nobody asked me and fran is actually like oh you don't have any friends maybe give it a try and Maggie's pissed, but then Fran uses her own personal social prowess to get Maggie all these friends and people start to like her. And it's like really cool the way that she navigates even that like high society world because she's like, it's the same high school, like different uniform, you know? Mm-hmm. Maggie invites all these girls over and they plan this big fun party, but then Maxwell and the butler are like, what do you mean you're going to have a fortune teller at this party for these high society ladies? You need to be And so Fran at first is like, no, like I want it to be fun. But then she starts to get in her head about like, oh, well, I don't know what the rich people do. So maybe I should try. And the thing that I love about that is that she genuinely tries to change herself to help Maggie. It's not to impress the high society people it's because she doesn't want to embarrass maggie and she wants maggie to benefit from this so she tries to change herself and then it turns out to be the most boring thing ever but at the end she like changes back pretty much and like gets a huge donation from the target anyway i i remember like they love her so much more just as her authentic self and she's able to connect with the people and you know they're laughing and enjoying that time even maggie's friends start to like the event as well and you know she connects with one of the girls and it was a nice moment 
And I liked what yeah. you said a little while back about Fran realizing that it's like the whole same school, different uniform vibe. I think mm -hmm. that's a really a central theme of the show. There's not much difference, at least in terms of like the social habits of folks like us that are just regular people working mm -hmm. nine to five type jobs. And then the super rich. Yeah. Obviously there are differences. I've never been rich myself, so I couldn't speak to that. But when it comes to people interacting and making connections, a lot of times it is just a different makeup, a different presentation mm -hmm. of the same exact social dynamics that we have as just regular, regular people, right? Yeah, people are people. And I think the nanny does a really good job at pointing that out. It's under the guise of major differences. But I feel like in a lot of the episodes at the end of the day, Fran always gets along with the high society people when she's herself. Not just in this episode, but in multiple episodes. I, of course, can't think of any other ones, but I swear it is a common theme. And that's just a marker of like, people are people. <laughs> and if you know how to interact with them, then it doesn't matter where you're at especially if you're yourself you know i think it's it's to people's detriment to not be themselves around people yeah because of that yeah i think you're ultimately sacrificing a genuine connection that you could have had with the person when you forego just being yourself even if mm -hmm. on on paper it's like oh this was a more successful interaction because i i played up this part of my personality or even a personality trait that's not actually your own, I think overall you would be better served to just show up authentically. And I'm learning as I get older and I start to do that more, I'm like, oh my gosh, I connected with this person that I thought I had nothing in common with. I, I never thought that we would be aligned with each other in some sort of way. But I'm finding that as I just sort of let loose and just be myself, and if we don't connect, then we don't. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm more often than not connecting with people. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It's just a fun thing about, I guess, growing up and learning oh, yeah. to be comfortable in your own skin. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, I watched the show initially when I was in middle school. So like I said earlier, a lot of those core themes went over my head. But that doesn't mean that they like didn't make a U-turn, come back, go in my ears and stuff themselves in the back of my brain for them to like resurface <laughs> when I needed them. I always look at the nanny really fondly for showing me how to be a person, but to be a different kind of person as well. Like you don't have to fit into the mold. And I didn't. I was weird. <laughs> and like part of that is probably because I had some sort of model of like, why be like everybody else when it's like, it's interesting looking back, actually, because often in the show, people that are on Fran's level, like her mom, Val, like all those wonderful side characters that we love that are from Flushing are presented as the like, dumb uncivilized like uncultured all these things but then on the other side the rich ones are all the assholes 
yeah. that you see. And so I think it just, it shows you the dichotomy. And at the end of the day, they still all come together in some way, you know? Yeah. I love what you're saying about the dynamic that the family has, which we will get into more. And then particularly the dynamic that Fran has with the family, as well as like the normal folks like us, I, you know, I'm saying normal. The listeners yeah. get what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. We're using very generalized terms. I don't think all rich people are assholes. I don't. No. I don't hold these opinions. I'm just <laughs> talking about the show. Don't come at me, please. Yeah. No shooting the messengers here. But I think the show, and this is coming from somebody that has virtually no experience with the 90s, but I feel like the show is very 90s coded in the way that Fran is positioned. I feel like if this show was taken on today, my guess is that she maybe would not have got gotten along so swimmingly with people of like a different socioeconomic class. Not that she would have been rude to them or anything, but like there's a way that she's able to engage with them and like still be light and fun mm -hmm. uh, without any major sort of animosity for yeah. the wealth that's displayed in front of her every day. I was wondering like, if you had any thoughts about that. You know, I think, I think the nineties was the perfect time to have this show. Cause you're right. I think just the climate of the world is just different. When you think about it, 1993 to 2023, that's, <laughs> what 30 years 30 years so a lot has changed in the way no that <laughs> i know not to state the obvious but <laughs> a lot has changed in the way that people interact with each other of different socioeconomic backgrounds a lot of things have changed in the way that women are represented and talked about like just so so much has changed that it's like that show belonged in the 90s because it was able to be what it was yeah it would be a different show now completely and like we could go into the more problematic side but honestly it's one of those things where it was in the 90s they didn't know they were trying i forgive them I think that's a big part of, of what this podcast is, being able to look back at shows and movies from the past and acknowledge the things that are not maybe representative of our time, which a lot of it is not going to be representative of our time. That's okay. Oh, um, sure. But it's fun, to, it's fun to look back on together. One fascinating, like, one-to-one -one example that we can also pull from the 90s is, like, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's mm -hmm. a similar concept that was also released, I believe, in 1990. So for folks that maybe haven't seen the show, uh, The Fresh Prince or Will, uh, is sort of like a transplant to Beverly Hills. Um, he ends up moving in with his family that lives in Beverly. Was it Beverly? Bel Air. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's in the name. Oh Jalen, please don't cut that out. Everyone needs to know that happened. I will keep it. <laughs> He's a Bel Air transplant because he goes to move with his family in Bel Air after he gets into some trouble uh, back home in Philadelphia, I believe. Um, West Philadelphia, born and raised. 
is that where he was born and raised? I, I need to listen to the theme song once more. West Philadelphia, uh, born and raised. Born and raised. And the playground is where I spent most of my most days. Most of my days. <laughs> next episode. <laughs> okay, so we are um, pros at theme songs, is what that yes, podcast we, has shown us. We are theme song people. Um, we need to form a community. Um, but let's see. So I think it's a, an interesting comparison between the nanny and... Fresh Prince, especially because I don't know if you know this, but I believe in 2021 or so, they actually came out with sort of mm-hmm. a, a different take on the story of Fresh Prince. It's on Peacock for anybody that's interested. It's called Bel Air, but it takes the show in a more dramatic direction. There's still comedic moments, but it's not a sitcom. That's mm-hmm. The comedy is not the focal point of the show. So I think it's interesting because I I feel like if they were to create a nanny reboot that didn't include the original cast, it would probably be similar where they're touching Mm -hmm. on the issues of class and and maybe race, sexuality, you know, touching on some of these topics in a more nuanced, serious way. Mm -hmm. But I, I say all that to say that I think you're right. This show existed at the perfect time where we were able to embrace the themes and the messages that the show put out without getting too deep into it. And mm-hmm. this is as somebody that really enjoys the Bel Air show for what it is. I think it's a fascinating look at the world of Fresh Prince of Bel Air in a different lens. Uh, but I think that this show is so special and I don't think I would like a different adaptation of this show quite as much. I don't think I would either. And I think that's largely in part due to Fran Drescher, who is, she played Fran um, for the entirety of the series. And she was also the creator of and producer of the show. And she, as a person, inherently, I follow her on Instagram and I love her, is a very, very positive light. And so is Fran Fine. And so I don't know that she would greenlight a more serious take on the nanny anyway. I think it's meant to be this show of levity, of of camp, of Of romance, of escape. Exactly. Like it was all those things. And I love it for those reasons. So I think that's largely in part due to Fran Drescher. And yeah, yeah, I just, I love it for what it is. I love the, the people that it gave me to look up to. I love the humor. I I swear my sense of humor in middle school was like, I was stealing jokes from the show. I'm not even kidding. Like I Um, lawsuit incoming. If you want to sue a seventh grader talking to her teacher, then sure. (laughs) it's just it was it was all those things for me and i think i think we can leave the nanny alone you're you're right i think it it gets at the ethos of the show if Mm -hmm. i'm using that word correctly do not sue me if i'm not fran is an avatar for the viewer Mm -hmm. we get to put ourselves in her shoes what would it be like to all of a sudden be thrust into this world of of riches and in leisure well you know, she had a job, so I guess not leisure, but did she have did, did she ever know where those kids were? She usually did not. And then especially <laughs> once she got married, 
uh, she was like, I, it's not even my job like that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it served its purpose to allow the viewer to see themselves in that world. And I, I think that it should stay where it's at. Yeah. Now, I know towards the beginning of the pod, we were talking about like how you use the nanny and other shows like it to sort of view what you would want your family to be like, you know, both growing up and then as you get older and start your own family. Let's talk more about that. Like, what about that family dynamic in particular really stuck out to you and and made its imprint on you and makes you want to emulate that on some level in your real life? I truly think, I touched on this a little bit before, I think it's the relationship that Fran has with the kids. She she is there for them. It's technically her job. But I really think that she would do it regardless. There's something about her relationship with all of the kids, individually as well as a collective, that is rooted in love and care and just unconditional support. She wants Gracie to develop and get out of therapy, (laughs) which we could talk about, but at its core, she just wants her to be okay. She wants Brighton to be a good stand-up young man because at the beginning of the show, he's a little shit. (laughs) she wants Maggie to flourish in the way that she knows that Maggie can. And might I add, she does by the end of the series. I always really wanted that, um, that motherly figure that was just gung ho. I'm there for you. And that's not necessarily what I had growing up in that way. Um, You know, there's all different kinds of moms. But for me, what I craved is I wanted this like feminine fun mom who could teach me how to talk to boys and how to be social. And so I definitely latched on to Fran as a mother figure in middle school and the family as a whole, even Maxwell's like always working. But like there are episodes where he has moments with his kids, especially because his wife died, the children's mother. She passes away before we are introduced to the family. So we see him as this widow, but he has really intense moments with his children talking about that and trying to remind his children of his wife. And even when he's, you know, pursuing a relationship with Fran, he's like really scared because he loved his his wife from before. And so I think There's just a lot of nuanced ideas that are introduced in terms of what a family is and what a family can be. And I mean, I know that they're a straight family. (laughs) Like it's like Fran is a woman, Maxwell's a man. But for me as a queer person, I'm a lesbian, everybody. I (laughs) just was like, there's more than one way to have a family. It doesn't have to look a certain way. And it can be this beautiful blended thing because Fran just kind of gets thrown into all these children's lives and is like, you're kind of their pseudo mom now. But the way that it works out is just really beautiful. 
and I just really love it. And honestly, I do. I want a really loud, boisterous family because I didn't really have that growing up, and I just want that. And I saw that in like the nanny and Fran and her family, especially just being like loud and like obnoxious. And like, I kind of loved that because I didn't have it. So beyond the like really intense metaphors that I just gave, um, <laughs> it's also just like, I want a fun family like that, that just like, they love each other. Oh, and, Taylor, yeah. you're gonna have that fun family. And I just know that from knowing you you are going to imbue that energy into your family. And I think it's going to organically come from them as well. So I, I have no doubt that that's going to be what you have for yourself. Thank you, Jane. You're welcome. But on that topic, I, I think the nanny falls in line with a lot of shows that came out, mm -hmm. like I would say 80s, 90s, at least the ones that I can recall. The one that's coming to the forefront of my mind is Full House. And the reason why it's coming up is because of the whole unconventional family dynamic uh, trope that I, I feel like I saw a lot at that time. Another one that I'm thinking of now is Sister Sister, where we have the adopted kids that actually turn out to be twin sisters. Mm -hmm. So they're biologically related, but they don't know each other. And so like, there's still that sort of like, folks being thrust into the same household and learning how to live with each other and, and love each other and care for each other. And so I, I think that Nanny certainly follows in that tradition and is an excellent example of that. I'm recalling an episode that I watched in season six or so. So I believe that's one of the last seasons. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so fascinating. So that's the season just after Fran and Maxwell get married. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so cool how even in those early episodes of season six, the kids are calling Fran mom. Mm -hmm. And we can get into a conversation about like, would that happen in real life? I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess it would be up to every individual family that's made up that way. But I thought it was such a nice touch. And it, it went a long way to show how their relationship has progressed between mm -hmm. Fran and the kids. And I just love that. I, I think if, you know, I grew up with a single mom and uh, I never had like a stepdad growing up, but I would love if there was a person, a man that came into, you know, my mom and my life and embraced me and embraced her, embraced my older brother in a way that made me feel so comfortable as to call them dad. Mm -hmm. I think that's so sweet. Uh, just the thought of that. And so it was, it was just cool to see that in the show happen. Yeah, I agree. So we've talked about the characters a little bit, but we haven't really gotten into any of the dynamics or anything like that. I'm going to ask you, is there like a particular character dynamic that stuck out to you that you kind of want to fangirl about or, or discuss at length and we can talk about it? Fran and Cece. Give context, because I don't believe we've mentioned Cece all that much. Right. And this is less about their dynamics and just about their characters as a whole. So Fran is Fran. Cece is Maxwell's business partner, who is in love with him. Because apparently everybody's in love with this British guy. I'll tell you, know, you what. I believe. I'll Actually, tell you what. I'm not going to hold you. He is an attractive young man. He's an you attractive know, young man. I and can also Fran and 
Fran and him together, I'm like, the chemistry is electric. So Okay, okay. Oh, we haven't even talked about that. Their chemistry is incredible. Anyway, yeah. CC <laughs> is the business partner. And one thing that I love about the show is that at the time, I very much saw the characters for what they were portrayed to be. Middle school me was like, Fran is stupid. Fran is so dumb. And then middle school me about Cece was like, oh my gosh, she's awful. She's the worst. Like, she's so mean. And now as an adult, I relate to Cece's character so much of just this like career driven woman with the driest humor who's just done with kids like isn't about them i mean i'm not i'm not a jerk to children please know <laughs> that but that's what characters are they're an extreme version of reality and so i just like i get cc now and looking back i'm just like cc was a powerful woman she was a butt of the joke often but honestly, I feel like everybody on that show was the butt of the joke at any given moment. You know, like if it wasn't yeah. Cece, it was Niles. If it wasn't Niles, it was Fran. If it wasn't Fran, it, like everybody was a joke. So I think that it's pretty evenly spread. But the reason I love Cece now is because she was single in her 30s, prioritized her career. The joke was always, she's a spinster, blah, blah, blah. She's ugly. She's fat. And I'm just like, okay, looking back, none of those are true gorgeous woman but also they made the same jokes about fran it was different but they were the same jokes so i appreciate that in that it wasn't like because she was single in her 30s and prioritized her career that they made those jokes it was just they made that joke about any woman who was single in in her 30s and i appreciate that that's something that we were talking about in the planning stage for this episode, because I, I think we both agreed that, like, in today's time, generally speaking, a woman in her 30s with no kids and, and a full-time job sounds about normal. That's at least for so that normal. We interact with, right? So, it, so isn't normal. it fascinating that, like, so much of the humor was based in look at these old women who mm -hmm. don't have their lives together, don't have their MRS and don't have mm -hmm. three kids of their own already. And I enjoy that by the end of the series, they were all kind of fulfilled, which kind of mm -hmm. just makes me happy. Like Cece and Niles was the best enemies to lovers plotline mm -hmm. ever. Fran gets to marry Maxwell and have these children as well as a couple of her own. And it's just like, it's kind of nice that they fulfilled all that. And I think this is where the self-awareness comes back because I guarantee you Fran Drescher, the creator of the show, did not think any of those things about women that were single in their 30s. But that's the point of a sitcom is to take these ideas and explode them yeah you know and mm -hmm. so of course as a middle schooler i'm sure i believed some of these things i'm sure i did 
But now looking back as a grown person, I'm like, oh, I get it now. The self-awareness is where the acceptance comes in. Because it's like, you know, these people don't actually think that. Which is kind of fun. And that's the fun of a sitcom, especially as you watch them as you like get older, is that you're like, oh, these are archetypes. These are these are stereotypes that are being used. And some of the fun is that you can take it at face value and it's still a good watch. It's still Mm -hmm. entertaining. But when you're able to see it for like how absurd as it actually is, Mm -hmm. you get to appreciate it in a whole different way. Because you're like, yes. oh, maybe that's not exactly what they were trying to say. And and I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, all these sitcoms are actually so much deeper than we thought they were. They may not be. And that's also okay. Mm-hmm. But I think it is really fun to, to take a look back at some of these shows uh, that are usually taken pretty much at face value and be like, wow, no, they, they maybe were trying to say something a little bit more nuanced than we gave them credit for when we were like eight. Yes, and I think, especially in relation to the nanny, that is camp. Mm-hmm. Like, what yes. is that if not camp? Let's let's get into camp. I think you would give a better description of it than I could. What is camp for for our heterosexual listeners? I feel like as a as a gay person, like you kind of just know when you see it. You're like, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Camp just means something that is exaggerated. Mm -hmm. That is what it is. It was often used for the male homosexual community as something that was over the top and like very often in reference to style. You know, drag queens and camp go hand in hand. But I think that now it's kind of morphed into a term that just generally means something that's over the top. But I think, I think, correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong, I think male homosexuals would agree that the nanny is camp. As a male homosexual, I agree. I completely agree. And as a tangent, I I think it, it's very apt that the queer community would latch onto something like camp, seeing Mm -hmm. as we've always been sort of on the outside of things. Yes. And so I think that makes us like extra privy to what is seen as the ideal. And we also know how to flip that sort of stuff on its head and really take it to the extreme because that's what's been presented to us as the ideal. So you look at things like drag or even like a sitcom that is like ridiculous in its stereotypes of characters. And I'm like, they're probably going to find a queer person uh, somewhere in the development of that project because we get it, right? Yes. Actually, fun fact, I think Fran Drescher's husband for years, Peter Mark Jacobs, Jacobson or Jacobs, I can't remember right now. He actually, they were married for years and then he came out as gay. So, and he was a co- exec on the show so there you go we found our queer person in the mix and i say this with the most love and admiration for who this lady is but i think that fran jesher would 
have a husband that eventually became gay <laughs> or became who am I? I I sound like a evangelical uh Christian I'm like became gay but who was <laughs> it's because she's an accepting person and so is Fran as well mm -hmm. You know, I think that the nanny as a whole honestly lends itself really well to a queer person because she is like the outlier that comes in to this space. And that's how it feels sometimes. And so it makes sense that her character would be generally accepting of all different kinds of people. It makes sense that Fran Drescher would be that kind of person. And fun fact, I think they stayed friends for like, they're still friends. And that just makes me happy. That makes me so happy too. But yeah, it reminds me of like the divas, you know, you think about somebody like a Diana Ross or an mm -hmm. Aretha Franklin, a Madonna, uh, people of that stature who are looked at and revered, um, particularly in the gay community mm -hmm. because they, they do represent these sort of outliers and also these aspirational figures that, that we can latch on to because there's a feeling like they understand what it, what it means to be on the outside or to be separate of the norm in some sort of way. Um, but yeah. yeah. And oh, I would queer like theory. Queer I, I did theory. not think that would be a part of the show or, or at least honestly, this episode. Like, yeah. So I cool. didn't think a lot of what we've talked about would be a part of this episode, but I'm honestly really glad that we've gotten to dive into it podcast oh, yes. so nuanced. <laughs> well, I've had such a good time talking to you about this show. It's brought up some things in me and, and an appreciation for the show that I frankly did not know that I had. So thank you for having this time with me. And thank you. before we go out, I do want to ask you one final question, if that's okay with you. Of course. In the spirit of connection, it's half mm -hmm. of the title of the show, if you did not know. Has this oh, show... Oh, is it? it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a shirt um, before you leave the studio. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. Um, let's see. Has this show been a source of community for you? And is it important for you to share your love for this show with other people? You know, during the pandemic on TikTok, all of these people were all of a sudden posting about the nanny. And that's when I had this realization that I wasn't the only one who deeply loved this show and these characters. And like, at first I was like, I've been watching the nanny since middle school. But then I kind of got over that and was like, how cool is it though, that there's all these people that love this one thing. And that's when, you know, I started that rewatch with my cousin because we just randomly were like, you like the nanny? You, oh, like we were the Spider-Man meme where we were like pointing at each other and we're like, wait, what? Like, and we started the rewatch and got to kind of experience that all over again. And I think at the end of the day, the nanny just feels like coming home and getting wrapped in a warm blanket of nostalgia. I see the living room of Maxwell Sheffield and I just am like, yep, that's familiar and that's comfortable and it just makes me happy. And I, wow. I just love, yeah, I love getting to experience that with everyone. 
I love that. And that's cool because on a different level, I want this podcast to feel a little bit like that. I want it to feel like wrapping yourself up in a nice blanket and feeling like you're in community with people that, that understand you. And if they don't understand you, they're willing to try and willing to learn about something that yeah. you're interested in or something that makes you feel safe and, and warm. So once again, thank you so much for, for being here with me and for sharing this part of yourself. And I, optimistically speaking, I, I look forward to having you on again to, to talk about some other um, pieces of media that really stuck with you. Yes. Immediately, yes. Immediately, yes. You heard it here, folks. Immediately, yes. <laughs> Taylor will be a recurring guest member. So if you don't like it, I don't think there's anybody in the audience that doesn't. So we're not going to go. <laughs> That's very we're not kind. Even go there. <laughs> All right. So stay tuned because we're going to have ad break, a new segment that I'm trying to green light here on this show. So stay tuned. We'll be back soon. All right. Welcome to the first installment of Ad Break, where I'll ask our guest a series of questions just to get a sense for how they view different things in media or about their relationship with themselves. Uh, so are you ready, Taylor? Yes, I am. I'm nervous. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't prepare for this part. <laughs> no, I, I want to really just get your natural answers to these things. Let's okay, go. so question one, what's something that you're doing for yourself that's making you feel like a kid again? Oh, that's such a cute question. So actually, I have been focusing a lot on playing. If, this is going to sound so weird. I'm an actor, y'all. It's a thing. But <laughs> just getting that imagination and that freedom of being a kid back. And so one thing that I have been trying to do is, this is so silly, is like doodle, <laughs> like doodle little things, oh, like, yes, yes, like on paper, <laughs> because, and this sounds ridiculous, but I used to doodle in my notebooks. I would draw all the time, like growing up and I stopped doing that and I don't know why, but it's something that I've been trying really hard to like, just doodle a little bit I read a book called artist and it was by an acting coach and one of her prompts was literally like just draw your hand on a piece of paper and then like just fill the empty space with whatever and like at first I was like what I can't do that but I just went for it and I was like wait this is really fun I haven't done this since I was a child and I think it's so important to like just have fun and play a little bit and like, I don't know, doodle some stuff. <laughs> Sometimes you really just got to doodle, you know? Yes. Your, your bills are past due. Your lights are being turned off, but you're like, you know what? I got to doodle, dude. I'm going to draw a sun in the corner of this paper. <laughs> and it's going to be just like lights. It's going to be just like lights. Yes. No, I don't know where <laughs> I went with that. But, uh, thank you for indulging me. <laughs> Next question, mm -hmm. what would you title the current episode of your life? The one where we're getting ready for the next one. Ooh, 
give us a little bit. You don't have to go in too deep, but give us why. Why is that? So for eagle-eyed listeners out there, you would know that I just made a reference to how the Friends franchise titled every one of their episodes, which was the one where, which is honestly freaking genius. And so the reason why I would call mine the one where we're waiting for the next one (laughs) is because right now I am living where I'm living and I am waiting to make money and move to New York City to go to acting school. So I'm kind of in this like liminal period of just like, uh, I'm just sitting and working and not really doing much. But when August hits, shit's gonna get crazy. Nice. What is what is that episode going to be called, if you had to guess? That episode is going to be Taylor Takes New York. I am so excited. I hope the spinoff gets greenlit <laughs> and that we get a full season order. I, I am very I much so looking too. forward to that. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, then we're going to get your perspective in New York, which I feel like is going to be different. It's going to be different. Um, a little bit more theatrical, a little bit more Broadway. So looking forward to it. She just did jazz hands for anybody that was in <laughs> silence there. I was in awe of the jazz hands. Let's see if we can get one more. What's something that you would tell your younger self? You know, I've actually thought about this a lot recently. Um, it sounds cheesy, but the cheesier the better. It's going to be okay. And the reason I picked that is I want to sit myself down and take her by the hand and give her a hug and say, This is hard. This is hard. It's not easy, but one day you're going to grow up, not even grow up, you're just going to get older and you are going to meet the most amazing people. You are going to actually pursue your dreams. You are going to heal yourself in ways that you didn't realize was possible. And even though right now is not fun, you get to go through everything and get to where you want to be. And that isn't to say that things like having difficulty in life is like, I hate the thing where it's like, all of these hard things made me who I am. That's true, but that still doesn't make those things good. Not but all. it's okay to grow through that. And I just want to like hug little me and be like, I'm sorry for the next 10 years. But then the five after that are going to be crazy cool. And you're going to have a huge support system that you didn't really have. This is therapy now. (laughs) Hey, look, we're, we're out here trying to heal our inner children and whatnot. So if I can have even a small role in helping people access that part of themselves, I'm more than happy. And this is helping me 
engage with my own inner child because while I'm asking you guys these questions, I'm asking myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that was such a good answer. And like I said, the cheesier, the better. I think the reason why things are so cheesy and cliche is because they're usually true. They're usually true. If they it's cliche, it's because it's true. They need to be said. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. And I know that for me, 10-year-old Jalen, especially like 13-year-old Jalen, they certainly would need to hear that. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that that was the, the tone that we're leaving today's episode on. Once again, Taylor, thank you so much for being a part of this journey with me. And I hope that I've been a little part of your journey as well. Jalen, you have. You truly, truly have. Getting asked to be on here was honestly a huge highlight for me. And I'm super glad that I got to dive into this with you. And for all the listeners out there, give your inner child a little hug because they probably need it. Absolutely. Give them a hug and also tell them to watch The Nanny. And also that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Taylor. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jalen. Bye.